Good morning. Super Bowl Sunday. Who's excited? How many of you are like, no idea it was a Super Bowl today? Like, just didn't have, haven't have a clue. Um, who's who's really excited though? Raise your hand. I want to see. Like, who who can't wait for the game? All right, there's a few people now. Who, how many of you are excited for the commercials? Like, that's the part of the Woo! game, or maybe the halftime show. Uh, I don't know. But the commercials seem to be sometimes even better than the game. Um, so now I got to ask who you're pulling for tonight in the game. So how many of y'all want to see the Patriots win? Okay. Uh, we, we have a few. Um, and I take that to mean that for the rest of us, either we don't care or we don't want the Patriots to win. Because um, my guess is we don't have a whole lot of people in here from California that are diehard Rams fans uh, or formerly St. Louis, right? Um, but uh, it should be a, an interesting game tonight. Uh, hopefully. But, um, you know, so we, we tend to get excited, um, you know, get together with people who get excited about the same things, right? Um, and that kind of creates a bond, creates some community, some camaraderie with people, and, and we can um, kind of build off of each other's excitement, right? And so if you're throwing a Super Bowl party um, and you're like die hard for one particular team, you're probably not going to invite a ton of people that are going for the other team, right? Like, that's probably just not going to happen. Um, you're going to kind of gather around with people who think like you, who, who are excited about the same things you're excited about, right? And we kind of talked about that a little bit last week with um, through this Contagious series, talking about contagious causes and the causes that we get excited about. And we gather around with other people who tend to get excited about the same things that we do. So this morning, we're kind of building off of that idea. We, we've been in this series now. The first week we kicked this off, we talked about how as God's people, we are called to infect our culture. And it, we, t- we tend to think of that word in a negative way, right? Like infection is typically not something we're like, yes, I got an infection. Woohoo. Like nobody's excited about that, right? Uh, you've probably never heard anybody say that until just now, right? Um, so we don't get excited about infections, but this is something we're kind of pulling it in a positive light that, that we want to infect and be infectious um, in our culture with the light and love of Christ that other people will be drawn in by that. And so that, that was the second week we talked about our attitude. Like every attitude is contagious, right? Every single attitude, positive, negative, either way, apathetic, it's, it's a, attitudes are contagious. And so if we have a contagious Christ-like attitude, that's going to cause people to take a closer look at Jesus. And so that's the goal is for us to have a Christ-like attitude, not a negative attitude or apathetic attitude, right? And so then last week we talked about how we we're created for a contagious cause, to know Christ and to make Christ known. That's what we're created for. But the beautiful thing is that we all have a different gift set, different personality type, um, different experiences that we can pull in and utilize to accomplish that purpose. So as we serve together and work to accomplish that purpose, it's going to look different for each and every one of us. And that's as it should be. It's, it, that's by design. So this morning, we're diving in and talk about what does a contagious community look like? So for us to kind of come together, of course, last week, the, the cause kind of talking about like, what's our mission? And as we gather together, we want to serve together and work together to accomplish that mission. But as a community, what are some of the habits and some of the uh, rhythms that we need to be getting into so that we can live in a, in a more contagious way in community together. And so I was thinking about like the different types of neighborhoods that I've lived in. And I've lived in a few different types of neighborhoods growing up with, you know, being in the military and my dad being in the military. And, and so we lived in base housing and base housing was like, you know, basically townhouses. 
you live in a little townhouse, and so, like, the people next door are, like, you know, only a, a piece of sheetrock between you, between you and them, and, like, so you can kind of hear everything that's going on through the wall, and, um, and so maybe you've experienced that before you lived in an apartment or in a townhouse, and it's like, yep, I know, I know when they're home, I know when they leave, I know when they're upset, I know what's for dinner, because I can smell it, um, you know, it's like, you live that close to that person, and sometimes that's not such a great thing, we actually lived in an apartment not too long ago while our house was being built, and um, there were the four of us in uh, a two-bedroom apartment. It was super tight. Like, this was six months, and and so um, Asher was actually sleeping in our bedroom in a little pack-and-play at the time, and and so that was fun. Um, But... uh, Bailey's room, she had like her, she, she had it set up great. She had her own little bedroom, but her bedroom wall was like, uh, bordered the neighbors, uh, right next to us. And so one night somebody, for whatever reason, next door decided it's time to drill something into the wall at like 1230 at night. Uh, it's like, this is the perfect time to do that. And so they're like, I mean, it was super loud, too. It was, like, vibrating through the whole apartment. And we're just like, what is going on? And so we're, like, banging on the wall, and it just kept going and kept going. And so I went next door, and like I said, it's 1230 at night, and I'm, like, banging on their door and waiting for somebody to – nobody ever came to the door, but the drilling stopped. Uh, So I was like, all right, fine. Um, But if that continued, things would have gone very differently. Um, But – but yeah, so you have those kinds of negative experiences. Now we live in, in a neighborhood. S- several of y'all have probably been to our house and maybe even met some of our neighbors. We have some great neighbors. We're super blessed. Um, and, you know, like just last night, I have a quick story. So um, I had something that I was trying to load up in the back of my truck, and, and I was like trying to figure it out. Like, how in the world am I going to be able to do this by myself? Because Dawn couldn't lift what, what I need lifted into the truck. And I'm just like, what do I do? And, and it's like almost, it's like 7.45, 8 o'clock. And it's like, I don't know if I want to bother my neighbors, you know, like, but I just decided, you know, what I'm just going to go next door. And if the lights are on, I'm going to knock and see if my neighbor will come out and help. And, and I did that and he came out and was more than happy to do it. It took like two minutes. Uh, but it's just nice to have neighbors that you can lean on and depend on, right? Maybe he probably wasn't thinking that when he heard the knock at the door, like, what is going on? You know, I've got my feet kicked up. I'm watching TV. I'm just kind of chilling. I thought, you know, I'm done for the day. I'm just kind of relaxing. And here comes my neighbor asking me to come over and help him with something. And it's like, so I was that annoying neighbor this time. Um, and I've even, like, my other neighbor has come out uh, in the evening when I'm out working on a project. I'm sanding something, and I've got my power sander out there making all kinds of noise. And it's like, uh, it was probably pushing nine o'clock at that point. It was like eight fifty-five, something like that. And so my my neighbor comes out and she's like, "So, how long are you going to be doing that for?" <laughs> they go to bed super early. And they're like, "So, how long are you going to be doing that?" And I was like, uh, "I'm getting ready to quit right now." So, <laughs> that's my cue. Um, but yeah, so I'm that neighbor that people are like, "That guy again, great." Um, but it, you know, community living in community can be good. It can be really positive, and sometimes it can be a pain, right? like living in proximity, close proximity to other people. And so the big idea at the top of your sheet this morning is this, is that everybody craves community. And I think if we're really honest, we all crave community. We don't want to be alone, utterly and completely alone, right? Now, there are some times where we probably think to ourselves, please, leave me alone, right? Like, just give me some time to be by myself. I don't want to be bothered. And, and if we're in too close a proximity, sometimes we're like, okay, that annoys me. But, but at some point, we all crave that community. I mean, could you imagine, like, 
How long would you last if you were uh, like marooned on a, a secluded island and it was just you and nobody else? And some of y'all are like, that sounds amazing, right? Like, like give me some of that. Like, yeah, but after a certain period of time, and for some of us, like me, I'm an extrovert. I'm like, I would last maybe 10 minutes and I'd be like, you know, if you ever seen the movie Castaway, like, you know, he, he created a friend with the volleyball, like that'd be me. I'd be drawing faces on like, hey, guys, how's it going? What are we going to do today? You know, like, uh, you know, and others of us, maybe you go like a few weeks before you even care that there's no one else around. But at some point you're going to care. You're going to get to a point where you're going to be like, OK, now it kind of stinks to just be out here all by myself with no one ever to talk to and no one else to interact with. So on some level, at some point, we all crave community to different degrees and different levels at different times. But that does have a limit, doesn't it? Especially if it costs us something. So we're all about, you know, reaping the benefits of community with other people. But if it ends up costing us anything that, or when it begins to cost us something, that's when we're like, uh, yeah, so not so much, right? Um, so like for me, uh, you know, living in community last night, having a neighbor that I could go knock on the door, that was great for me. Maybe not so great for him because it cost him something. It cost him some comfort. He had to get up off the couch and put his shoes on and come out and, and help me with this. Um, but for me, it was great, but, you know, but like I said, when it, when it begins to cost us something, that's when we kind of pull back, and so uh, just introducing this idea this morning that the idea of community simultaneously can attract us and repel us at the same time. We, we want the benefits of it, but we're not so excited about the demands that it makes on us sometimes, and if you look in scripture as we're, we've been walking through this passage for the last few weeks and and we got a couple more weeks to go. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, if you've got your Bible, I want to invite you to open it. Uh, if you've got your actual Bible or if you've got uh, the actual Bible app, you can uh, go virtual with that as well. And we've also got it on the screens for you this morning as well. But let's read it together in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. Here's what Luke writes. He said, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. So a couple of themes that we've been emphasizing so far through this series. One is just this concept of awe, the fact that they were in awe of God and in awe of who God is and in awe of what God had done for them and in them. And now God was beginning to do some crazy and amazing things through them. This is the first time that they probably ever really experienced anything like this. I mean, this is the first time anything like this had ever happened, that this, the Holy Spirit shows up and they're just completely like blown away jaws on the floor kind of blown away of what God is doing, how he's showing up in incredible ways. And because of that awe, because they were so in awe, it, it led thousands of people to become devoted to this cause, to be devoted to Christ. And, and, and we see the, the object and the, the result of that devotion throughout this passage. But one of the things that, that you're going to begin to see recurring as a theme in here as well is this concept of koinonia. I'm going to try to make sure that I can say that correctly and help you say that, that correctly. But koinonia. All right, it's koinonia. All right, you ready for that? We're going to say it together. All right, koin. 
Koinonia. Ready? One, two, three. Koinonia. One more time. Koinonia. All right? So what Koinonia is, is, is it's bigger than what we've kind of come to understand as fellowship, this idea of fellowship that like fellowship is like just getting together. Like if you're Baptist like me, I, I was raised Baptist and fellowship meant food. That's what fellowship meant. Like it was always food. We had a special room in the church called the fellowship hall. Uh, and that was where food was eaten. Like you couldn't have an event in the fellowship hall. I don't think unless there was food there, it was like a requirement. You had to have food. And so it was like food equals fellowship always. Right? Well, not necessarily because it's, it's more than just that. It's more than just eating together. Um, you know, it, so if you go out and you have lunch with a coworker, do you call that fellowship? Like, hey, let's go fellowship together. Like, no, we're not doing that, right? Like, that's one of those, like, churchy words that, that has kind of become uh, overused and kind of played out. And, it, and it's one of those words for me because I grew up around the church and heard this word so many times, used so many different ways that it just kind of, like, you know, makes me shiver when I, like, hear somebody say, hey, let's, let's have a great time of fellowship together. I'm like, oh, please don't stop. Stop using that word, please. Um, but, so it's kind of, like, lost its, its meaning, and, and we kind of don't really fully understand what the, the word that we translate into fellowship, koinonia, what that really means and try to capture the fullness of it. And so uh, if you'll look with me, you can see this on the screen in 1 John chapter 1 with verse 3, and then we're going to read verses 6 through 7. So here's what it says. And, and, and when it says, you'll see the word fellowship on the screen, but I'm going to say koinonia because I, I want us to get this idea and I'm just tired of the word fellowship. So I'm just going to substitute it back to the Greek word. All right, so, so here we go. Uh, let's read this. To, you can just follow along. Um, you don't have to read it out loud unless you really want to, which that could be fun too. Um, but let's read this together. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard. Now, pause right there. Who's writing this? John, right? John was the disciple Jesus loved, right? He, he was one of Jesus's followers, like went with Jesus and did all these things. So he's telling them right here, he's saying, I've been there, I've done that. I've, I've personally witnessed the things that we've been talking to you about, right? So he says, we proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you may also have koinonia with us. And our koinonia is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. If we claim to have koinonia with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and don't live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have koinonia with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And so this idea of koinonia depicts an interactive relationship between us and God, between people who have chosen to trust Christ, people who have chosen to follow Jesus and the God that, that we trust and believe in and follow. And, and we share this life together through Christ. So you see how that's so much bigger than what, what we've kind of boiled it down. Hey, let's have a fellowship. Let's get together and watch the game and have some wings. You know, it's like, that's a fellowship. We're, gonna, we're having a fellowship at our house tonight, if that's how we're going to describe it, right? But, but it's more than that. It's, it's doing life together. And it's even more than just doing life together. It's, it's experiencing God in relationship with other people. And, and so he's filling us up and we're filling each other up with what God's filled us up with. And it's, it's helping all of us grow in our relationships, not only with each other, but also with God. And one of the things that, about this is like with, with this concept of koinonia, and we've kind of hit this uh, in, in weeks prior, is this idea that, 
there's no such thing as spectators in this passage that we've been walking through in Acts chapter 2. There's, there's nobody kind of standing out on the sideline with their hands in their pockets, their arms folded, just kind of watching everybody else gather in community together. Everybody participated. Everybody had a role to play. And I think that's that can be super either super encouraging, and I hope it is encouraging to all of us at some point. We look at that and we go, there's a place for me. And I don't know about you, but I've experienced times in my life where I just feel, feel like I didn't fit. They're like, where's the place for me to fit in? It's like I'm looking around and I just don't see a, a niche for me, right? But what we can see in this, in this passage is that everybody fits. Everybody is welcome. Everybody is invited, regardless of who you are, how you were raised, where you came from, what the color of your skin is, what, what your socioeconomic situation is, what your education level is. Everyone is invited. And not only is everybody invited, but everybody is welcome. And did you realize that those are two different things? It's two different things to be invited and to be welcomed, right? So like I can invite you, but I cannot welcome you, right? I can say, hey, yeah, you should come over. And then when you come over, I can ignore you, right? So you're invited, but you're not welcome, right? So for me to make you feel welcome is when, when you walk in the door after I've invited you is to put my arm around you and say, I'm so glad you're here. Let's hang out. Let's talk. Let's catch up. That's welcoming somebody, right? That's, that's like getting into deeper into that relationship with that person. But everybody participates, so everybody has a role to play. But it also can be a little bit intimidating, right? It can be a little scary. We can look at it like, I don't know about this. Like, I'm not so sure that what I have to offer is going to be useful or, or that other people are going to see what I have to offer as being useful. And so it, I can play it safe and I can just kind of take a step back and I can keep my hands in my pockets or fold my arms and just say, I'll just, I'm, I'm good right here. I'll just kind of become a wallflower and just watch what everybody else is doing and, and not really dive in and participate. But what we see, even in, in society in general, uh, helps to emphasize the truth of this is like, you know, we don't have just one profession, right, in, in the world. We have thousands, right? So, you know, let me just kind of simplify it like this. Like, you know, so what if uh, all we had were businessmen and, like, businesswomen and, like, it's all about business. And, and I know that's a pretty broad uh, category. But, like, then there, there's no, like, sanitation workers. Like, everybody's a business person. Like, the world would not be a very pleasant place, would it, if we had no sanitation workers, right? Uh, nobody to, to collect the trash uh, and, and dispose of it for us, right? We, we, would, uh, we would all begin to hate that world pretty quickly, right? Um, and to the contrary, we couldn't have just have just sanitation workers. Like, uh, there's business that needs to get done, right? And so, like, so people have different interests and different uh, abilities, and so when we pull those together, we're able to accomplish great things, and, we're, and that's how uh, systems begin to work. So like a system can't work unless there's multiple pieces to make, make up that system, right? And so your body, that's a system. And so uh, even in scripture, we see Paul illustrated the church as the body of Christ, that there are multiple different parts of that body. And when they come together, they're able to accomplish things that they would never be able to accomplish all by themselves. So going back and looking back through these verses in Acts chapter 2, we see three t different types of people in their roles. And I'm going to run through this real fast. Uh, this isn't in your notes, but, but I'm just going to kind of throw this out there for you. The first group of people that you see are the people. It's kind of a broad category, right? These are the people who have like, yeah, you're like, that, isn't that everybody in this pack? Not necessarily. You'll see in a second. All right. So you've got just the people who have... Um, 
encountered Christ in some way, shape, or form. They've encountered Christ, and they've bought in to this community. And they're like, okay, I'm in. I'm part of this. I, I, I want to be a part of it. And so they were all on the same page. And they said, you know what? We're not going to just stand on the sidelines. We're going to be devoted to these things. And we've, we've talked about that. And you can see that here in the passage, the things that, that they devoted themselves to. And, and, and so let's look at that again real quick. So, um, so what's awesome about this is you have people who have chosen they haven't been forced to. Nobody came along and was like, all right, guys, come on. This is what we're going to do. You're all going to have to be devoted now. And, and, and here are the things that you're going to have to be devoted to or else. Nobody had that conversation with them. It's just of their own free will, they decided, let's be devoted to these things. I want to be personally devoted to these things. And so when that happens, we see incredible and powerful things happen. And sometimes I wonder, like, maybe we're not seeing incredible and powerful things happen because we're not all devoted together to the same thing to the same cause, to the same mission, to say, I'm fired up about this and I'm willing to invest in it all in. I'm not going to hold back. I'm not going to stand on the sideline. I'm not going to just kind of watch you do this. And we're all going to participate together and we're all going to start rowing in the same direction. And that's when we start to see momentum pick up. And that forward movement that, man, we are actually moving forward to accomplish a common mission together. And so that's what we see all these people gathered together. And they said, we're going to devote ourselves to the same things, you know, they, they divided, devoted themselves to the teachings of Jesus, to the, to the apostles' teachings. And so what were the apostles teaching? They were, they, they were teaching what Jesus had taught them, right? So they devoted themselves to, to the teachings of Jesus. They devoted themselves to koinonia, to fellowship, to gathering together, to, to doing this together and, and using their gifts, talents, and abilities. Uh, they were devoted to sharing meals, and we talked about that a little bit last week. We'll talk about that more here in a few minutes, but we're all about that, right? Like, there's going to be food anytime we gather, and that's okay. That's okay, but it can't only be about the food, right? But the food is kind of just a way for us to to kind of come together and say, man, it's good to be together because we can enjoy this food, and not only are we enjoying the food, but we're enjoying the community. We're enjoying the conversation, the koinonia, right? Like, so it, it kind of happens and revolves sometimes around that food, and that's okay. That's a good thing. That we, they, we see that they devoted themselves to um, praying for the mission, and, and so that was a big piece of what they were doing, and, and they also devoted themselves to using their giftedness to building up the body of Christ. And I want to come back to this again and hit this hard because I want to make sure that we all get this and understand that we all have something to bring to the table. We all have something to bring to the table, to, to, to bring in to this mission, to, to accomplish it together. And if we don't do that, if, if every single one of us doesn't bring what God has given us to the table and, and to the mission, the mission will be hindered. Do we, and I don't think we really get that. I don't think we really understand that, that we, we sometimes rationalize and justify the fact that it's okay for me to stand back and sit on the sideline because my gifts aren't really all that important anyway, right? Wrong. God gave you your gifts for a reason, and the reason is to help advance the mission. And when we're not all investing to advance the mission, then the mission is hindered, and we're not able to accomplish as much as we would otherwise if everybody dove in and went after it together. And so you might be sitting there wondering, well, like, well, what's my gift? Like, what do, what do I have to, to offer? What can I bring to the table? Uh, you know, I don't know what I'm good at. I don't know what, what, what's in my wheelhouse. We have this thing that we're going to do actually today after the service over at the Fuquay campus called G101. And that's a big part of what we do at G101 is we, we have food, <laughs> free, free childcare, and we talk about 
the mission that we're on together as a church and how you can use what God has given you to accomplish and invest in that mission. And so if, if you're here this morning and you're like, I just don't know what, what I'm supposed to be doing, then join us for lunch today and we'll talk about that together. But in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, uh, we kind of get a little bit better picture of what this looks like. So, um, you know, spiritual gifts, this whole idea of spiritual gifts that God gives us, uh, these supernatural, really, abilities or gifts that uh, we wouldn't have outside of a relationship with him that are meant for the advancement of the mission, for the advancement of the church, God's church, God's body. Um, and when we use them, it's a powerful thing. We see these lists pop up of spiritual gifts from Paul four different times in Scripture. We see them in Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. Um, which I think is kind of cool that it's chapter 12 twice and chapter 4 twice. That's just one of those little geek things for me that I'm like, that's kind of interesting uh, that, that that happened in, in those situations like that. Um, so check this verses out in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and let's kind of get a picture of what this starts to look like. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship, koinonia, together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress other people. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. So that's what it looks like when God's people come together and we say, you know what, we want to, to experience this concept, this biblical concept of koinonia, and not just make it about like, you know, when we say fellowship, we're getting together to, to have food, but, um, but we want to experience something bigger, something greater, something more that God's purpose will be accomplished, and so it, it's an incredible thing when, when God's people come together for a common mission, but we also see two other groups of people. We see the apostles, so there's the people, right? Now there's the apostles, and what I love about this is that the apostles, they have two very important jobs. Here are their jobs. You ready for this? If you go back to Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, their job was to teach and to perform miraculous signs and wonders. That's it. That's all the apostles did. Guess who did everything else? The people. The people said, you know what? We're going to do everything else. Apostles, your job is to teach us and do really crazy cool stuff that nobody can explain that actually God is doing through you, okay? So that's, that's your job. You do those things. We'll do the rest, right? And so what's cool about that is for all of us, we say, you know what? Well, we can't excuse ourselves and, and say, well, it's the job of professional preachers or, you know, staff members of a church to do all of these things. It's like, you know what? These guys, they had two jobs, perform miracles and teach, that's all their job was to do, and everybody else did everything else, which, which is pretty crazy and pretty cool kind of thing. And then you see the role of the community. So we've got the people, the apostles, and the community. And the people in the community, their job was to get saved. Like, you know, notice what's going on and say, I want to be a part of that, or, you know, just make a decision. Am I going to be a part of it, or am I going to say no thanks and keep moving? But, but they... Um, saw all this, these things that were going on. And one of the things that's awesome about this passage is that we see that thousands of people were coming to faith in Jesus on a regular basis. 
It said every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Every single day. Pretty incredible stuff. And then there are at least a few occasions that are recorded for us in the book of Acts that talked about thousands of people all at once came to faith in Christ because of what God was doing there. Uh, pretty incredible stuff. And, and so the question then becomes, how does this play out in our lives and how can we get in the game and begin seeing God make an impact? And let me just kind of throw this at you this morning. I know some of the, we, our campus is awesome for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons our campus is awesome is because so many people volunteer. So many people invest. So many people say, you know what, I've got gifts, I've got abilities, and I want to serve. And so we've got kind of an off-the-charts number or percentage of people at this campus that are serving uh, on a regular basis, which is awesome. But what what I want to challenge you with is serving doesn't just happen on Sunday, right? It's not just, you know, when we come together and it's like, okay, I'm setting up pipe and drape or hooking up sound system stuff or setting up for the kids downstairs, which that's so important and that's so awesome. And thank you, all of you who are invested in that and you're doing that on a regular basis. But this should be the rhythm of our life, just a lifestyle of saying, you know what, I want to be a person who's making an impact on my, in my daily life, and it's not just about what I do uh, for the church specifically, like on Sundays or Saturdays when we set up, but I want to use my gifts, my abilities, my talents, my passions, my experiences all the time, not just on the weekend. Um, and so what does that look like, and what does that mean? So I want to give you guys um, a few uh, rhythms that we can implement into our lives that I think will help us accomplish this together. And so the first of these habits on your sheet this morning is bless. And this spells out an acrostic called bells. Uh, So if you look down your sheet, it spells out bells. Um, And this comes from an author by the name of Michael Frost. uh, And he wrote a book called Surprise the World, which really, if you boil it all down to it, if we live missionally, according to the mission that God has given us, and this was a regular rhythm in our lives, we would surprise the world. And other people would look at us and go, what is wrong with you? Like, why are you doing all these things? Like, what what is so different about you? It causes people to to ask questions. And so you might hear us say, use the phrase sometimes that we want to live questionable lives. Now, we might look at that and go, I don't want to live a questionable life. And people like, you know, that, that kind of sounds negative, right? Like that I'm doing questionable things. No, when we say that we want to live a questionable life, that means that we want to live lives that cause people to ask questions about why we're doing the things that we're doing. And so if we implement these rhythms into our life on a regular basis, then people are going to start to ask questions and, and it's going to give us opportunities to share the truth about who Jesus is and, and sow that truth into their lives. So the first habit I mentioned just a second ago is bless. And so the challenge is to bless three people every week. And I, I, I understand that this is a challenge, okay? So we're going from like zero to 90 right here, okay? So, so we might be like, well, I haven't really been focused on blessing anybody. And now you're asking me to bless three people every week. And it's like, you know what? If, if that's too hard for you, just start with one then, okay? But the goal eventually is to get to the point where we're blessing three people. And, and those three people are composed of two different types of people. So two people that you bless each week are people within the church, people that you know that are followers of Jesus. And, and let me just kind of like kind of take some of the um, scariness out of this for just a second. So when you bless somebody, that doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're like, you know, going way above and beyond what you would ordinarily do. But it could be just something as simple as sending them a text and say, hey, I'm 
thinking about you today. I'm praying for you. Um, or, or it could be like, you know, hey, let, let's, um, let's get together. And that's actually coming up here, like where you actually get together with people. But, but it's fellow believers that you're going to say, I just want to bless you. Might send them a card, might get them a gift, or, you know, could be just a word of, of comfort, a word of affirmation. Um, but it could take almost no time at all to do something like that. Um, so you got two people every week that you're trying to bless that are followers of Jesus, and then one person who isn't a follower of Jesus, who isn't part of our church. And so you're trying to help advance the kingdom and help bless people who don't know Christ and help them see what does it look like to, to be impacted by Christ and be impacted by the gospel. But let me caution you with this, though. If we go into it with an agenda where we're like, you know what, I'm blessing you so that fill in the blank, so that you'll come to our church or so that you'll come to my B group or so that you'll, even so that you'll accept Jesus. Like, that's, that's really not the motivation we should have. The motivation we should have is that Jesus did these things, so I should do these things. He blessed people who weren't followers of him, and that caused them to ask questions. And, and that's really what it's all about, is just I want to bless people for the sake of blessing them, but ultimately... Uh, my hope and my prayer is that as I bless people, that they'll become curious about who Jesus is. And that's kind of just a little uh, preview into our next message series we're working on right now called Curious. Um, so, but we, w- we want to do things that are causing people to, to become curious about who we are and why we do the things that we do. And so that's the first thing is, is to bless three people every week. The second thing is to eat, all right? Can I get an amen? Anybody? Like, you, you, you ready to eat? Um, so we're going to eat. We're going to eat with three people, three different people every week. And can you guess what those types of people are again? Two people who are followers of Christ and one person who isn't. So you're, what, what happens when we eat with people? We talk, right? You, you develop relationships and you get to know those people. And so that kind of happens around meals and and. This idea, this concept of eating together is actually biblical. And you, when you look at Jesus, Jesus did a lot of things. Of course, he taught, you know, Sermon on the Mount. That was a pretty big deal, right? We, we talk about that quite a bit. Um, he healed people, right? But he also ate with people. And can I say in church that he drank with people? All right, can I say that? Because he ate and he drank with people, okay? To the extent that he was criticized for being a drunkard and a glutton. Because he hung out with sinners, not people, not church. Those aren't church people. Come on now. And he's like, those aren't church people. They're, they're criticizing. Why are you eating and drinking with them? And so that's what Jesus was criticized for. And man, I'm just throwing this out there. What if we got criticized for the same things that Jesus got criticized for? I think we might be doing something right if that were the case, right? Now, I'm not saying go overboard, all right? Now, we can always take things to the extreme, right? Um, but that's, what, that's how relationships are built. So we eat with three different people and two different types of people each week, two people who are followers of Jesus and one person who isn't, and that helps us develop that relationship with them, get to know who they are. We get to know their story, and as we get to know their story, we have the opportunity to share our story and ultimately God's story. Um, and spoiler alert, you're going to hear more of that in the next series. But um, So the first L, we listen. We, we take time every week to listen to the Holy Spirit. And the challenge is to take 30 minutes a week. 30 minutes every week. So 
That doesn't necessarily mean all at once. You could break that up over time, but, but spend time just listening to the Spirit. And there are multiple ways that you can do that, but one of the ways I want to challenge and encourage you to do it is to, to silence your cell phone or even put it in a different room and just go get alone with God. Go sit on your porch or go for a walk or get out into nature and, and listen for God to speak to you. I, I think that's a, a lost practice for most of us is, is to tune in to the voice of God, to tune into his spirit. And so the challenge is every week we're going to take at least 30 minutes or so, a block of time that I'm just going to go get with God and allow him to speak to me. And again, it doesn't have to all be at the same time. You can break it up, but, but spend time just listening to God. And one of the things about listening to God and doing this is that in order for me to listen to God, I've got to stop listening to other things. So I'm going to take out earbuds. I'm going to take out, like, again, put the phone away. Like, I, I need to be able to focus on what God has to say because I think there's so so many of us, if we're really honest, we couldn't tell you the last time we really heard God speak to us. And I think the reason is not because he's not speaking, it's because we're not listening. So what if we took up this challenge and said, every week, man, I'm going to take some time, 30 minutes or so, to really listen to the Spirit of God. And then the second L is to learn. So I'll spend one period of the week, and you can determine how long that's going to be. It could be five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, whatever time frame feels good to you at least. But I would encourage you, whatever it is, try to increase it over time to, to spend more and more time learning from Christ or learning about Christ. Now, one great way to do this is through version or, or Bible.com reading plans. There's thousands of them. We have a recommended one that kind of goes along with this series that we're doing right now on, on your sheet. So if you're like, I don't know where to start or what to do, you can start right there. We've got others that, that we've got on our Go Deeper page on our website um, where you can just go on onto Bible.com and browse thousands of different reading plans, all from like one day reading plans to two year plus reading plans. But one of the things I want to encourage you to do is take time every single year and maybe make this one of your goals for, for 2019 to say, for, by the end of this year, I want to have read through at least one of the Gospels. And what are the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That I'm going to read through at least one of the Gospels. Now, how awesome would it be if you read through all four of the Gospels by the end of this year? That would be even better, right? But that really helps us get grounded in who Jesus is and what Jesus taught and what Jesus did and who he's called us to be. So let me just challenge you, the second L, to, to learn from Christ or learn about Christ. And then the last uh, letter of this, the, the S, is sent. To recognize that it's not all about just blessing people and eating with people and learning, listening to, to the Spirit and learning about Him, but it's actually implementing the things that He says to us, the, the things that, that we've learned about Him, that we say, you know what, I, I want to practice these things in my own life and recognize that I am a missionary. You know what a missionary is? It's literally translated sent one. That we are the sent ones. We are the ones that Jesus is, is talking about and talking to in Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20 with the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations so that we are the sent ones. And so we've got to actively engage in the mission. The mission to make disciples who make disciples. And, and so what are the things that we're sent 
to do on this mission, one is to announce reconciliation and, and demonstrate it for people. So they can see what does it look like to be reconciled to God. And then I've, I've also got this message of reconciliation that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. That, that we are, he uses this term, it's kind of fancy, but it's like we are ambassadors of reconciliation. Like we are, we are officially sent to represent Jesus in our culture and beg people. He says we beg you to be reconciled with God. Please be reconciled with God. And so that's part of our mission, right? The second thing is to live out justice and champion it every way that we can. And there's lots of different causes that we see in our culture that, that we can champion that are close to the heart of God. And, and we know from James, if you're reading through James with your B group, um, widows, orphans, and the poor, he talks about, about those groups of people, that they're, they're um, typically disadvantaged and need people to be able to advocate for them because they, they have a limited ability to advocate for themselves or no ability to advocate for themselves. And so we advocate for people who can't do that for themselves. And we fight against things like sex trafficking, promoting fair trade, you know, paying people fair prices for the goods and services that they provide, helping to end homelessness and hunger. Like these are things that are close to the heart of God. These are things that we saw Jesus doing and engaging in in his life. And if these are the things that we saw Jesus doing, and if we're following in Jesus' footsteps, guess what? We should probably be doing those things too, right? Championing them as much as we champion anything else, or more so. And then the last thing is wholeness. Helping broken people become whole. This is part of our mission. And it, we talked last week about the opportunity to participate in an incredible ministry like Safe Families or celebrate recovery as it's getting ready to be launched um, or becoming a uh, foster family or engaging in adoption. I mean, these are incredible ways that we can promote wholeness for people and help them get a better picture of who God is and, and the relationship that he desires to have with them. And another part of this, um, this scent concept is that uh, we want to journal through the week. So this is part of this practice is I recognize that I'm a sent one. I want to engage in this mission and I want to journal about ways that I've alerted others to the reign of Christ. How am I alerting others to the reign of Christ? And so I'm, I'm going to try to keep a journal of things that God is doing through me. That's helping people see that Christ is on the throne. And so why is it important for us to journal those things? Well, it helps us to see what God's actually doing. Um, it's a pretty cool practice to be able to go back and see and, and to think through what is God doing in me? What is God doing through me? Um, it helps you process uh, what God's been doing in your own life and, and how God's been using you to serve others. Um, and then it even helps you to ask better questions. So then we, we start to think about, okay, this is great to be able to do these things, this uh, Bell's process on my own or with my family, of course. Hopefully you're doing that together as a family. Um, but how much more impact can it have if we do it together in community? So there's two aspects of community as we're talking about it this morning. The first aspect is that we are together. Koinonia, we're together in this mission. We're um, mutually impacted by Christ and asking God to use all of us together to make an impact for Christ, right? So, so that kind of shows that there's the, that's kind of the inward piece of it, that there, there's inward, like that God wants to pull us together, closer to each other, in community, to experience his presence and his power in community together. But that presence and power is not meant to be kept 
within the community. It's meant to be poured out into the community around us. And so how much more power and impact can we have if we all come together and say, let's do this together? And that the few ways that that happens for us here together as a church, one is in B group. I've mentioned it several times, and you know, that we want to get together on a regular basis and commit to this to say, you know what, we're devoted to this, this small group of people that we're coming together to uh, experience and express who God is and what he's doing in us and, and be obedient to the mission that he's called us to. And the second opportunity that we have, we're getting ready to relaunch our activity groups. And these are groups that are more affinity based. So like B groups are, you know, based on lots of different um, possible elements, like, you know, maybe it's because of where you live or maybe because it's the night of the week that it meets, or maybe it's because um, of the age group or, you know, everybody's got kids or, Everybody doesn't have kids or whatever it is that that draws you to that group, right? But the affinity groups are more like um, really even more open to the community because it's all about, you know, an interest, something that people are interested in. So we've got those that we're kicking off here in just a couple of weeks as well um, that, that you could jump into and use that as an outreach opportunity. People that you know that don't know Christ that maybe are interested in these things. And then the other opportunity, this coming Saturday with the ministry that we've started called Vertical Impact to help rebuild homes that have have been um, impacted by hurricanes. I mean, Vertical Impact is going to be more than just working on homes that have been damaged by hurricanes. But right now, that's the greatest ministry opportunity that we have. And so why not, right? Let's go after it as hard as we can. And so that's another possibility for how we can come together to engage in the mission and accomplish more when we come together. So the, the last question for us in this whole process here, we're talking about community this morning, is what about you? What is God leading and calling you to, to where is God leading and calling you to step in to the mission and, and lean in to the community instead of maybe standing on the outskirts with your hands in your pockets, your arms folded across your chest and like, well, I'm just going to kind of watch and wait and see and maybe eventually one day I'll jump in. No, like I think God wants you to take a step forward into the community in some way, shape, or form. And so what does that look like for you here this morning? Maybe with this practice, uh, these practices that we shared with you, the Bell's practices, that you're going to take and say, you know what, I'm going to kind of ramp this up. Maybe you're not an all-in immediately kind of person. I don't think probably most of us are. Uh, most of us are not like immediately all in, jump in the, in the deep end kind of people where it's like, okay, five practices, three people, all right, uh, 30 minutes, all right, uh, journaling, all right, go. I'm going to start all of it tomorrow. It's like sometimes that's a recipe for failure, right? It's like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do everything all at once. Like, okay, slow down. Let's pace ourselves a little bit. Maybe you just start with blessing people. And you say this first week as I'm kind of, seeing that these are great rhythms and great habits for me to engage in. For this first week, I'm just going to focus on blessing three people. And maybe God will even prompt you to say, no, you don't stop at three. You keep going. I'll tell you when to stop, (laughs) right? It's like, so if God says that to you, you just have to be obedient, right? And just, you know, just got to keep going. And then maybe the next week you say, okay, I'm going to continue to bless three people. And this week I'm also going to eat three people. Now, let me just kind of throw out something at you, all right? You can bless people and eat with people at the same time. You can kill two birds with one stone, all right? You can, you can make this happen. So it's not as hard as it may seem, all right? Um, but let's do something. Let's start somewhere. 
Let's begin engaging in these rhythms. And, and maybe if we do that, and if more than just a few of us start doing it and all of us start doing it together, maybe we'll actually surprise the world. And they'll start leaning in and like, so what are you guys doing? And what is this all about? And how can I get involved? So whatever it is that God's leading you to do this morning, I just want to invite and encourage you to respond as he leads. And we've got the decide card, you know, whatever decision it may be that God's leading you to make this morning, you can fill that card out. Or yeah, you can fill it out online if you prefer. We've got the little drop box. You can drop that in. We've got an opportunity to take communion this morning to remember what Jesus did for us, that he invited us to his table. And he's gifted each and every one of us to invest in his mission as a part of his family. And so I want to invite you to respond, maybe uh, through communion as well, but whatever it is that God's leading you to do, let's do that uh, in faith and with obedience. So let's pray together. Father, we uh, come before you this morning just so grateful to you for your love for us. It, it just, if, if we really allow ourselves a moment to contemplate the magnitude of your love, it will blow our minds. So I ask you, God, right now in this moment, blow our minds. Help us to to get a fresh appreciation this morning for how loved we are. Once we recognize the magnitude of your love, we recognize also that you've invited us to your mission to engage in accomplishing something that's so much greater than any of us could ever do on our own. And not only that, Father, you've invited us to do it with, with each other, but also through your spirit that you are giving us everything that we need, every spiritual gift. And in and, and addition to that, you're giving us each other to be able to accomplish it uh, in community. And so, Father, I pray that you would help each one of us to understand what does it look like for, for us to fully engage, to go full throttle, to go all in, to, to utilize the gifts and talents and passions and abilities and resources that you placed at our disposal, not so that we can live as people who are blessed, but so that we can live as people who are blessing others. Help us to do that, Father. Help us to to fully engage. And God, I pray that you will be extremely specific with every single one of us here this morning, that we know exactly what our next step needs to be, and they'll give us the boldness, the courage, the faith, and the obedience to take that step, whatever it means and whatever it looks like and whatever it may cost. Because, Lord, we know that it's fully, completely worth it. No matter what the cost may be, even if it costs us everything up to and including our own life, it is completely worth it. So, God, I pray that you would help us to do now what it is that you're leading and calling us to do in response to what you're saying to us. In Jesus' name we pray.